Namaste everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host Kushal Mehra. All right, time to discuss Budget 2022. And just like last year, this year too, we have Harsh Gupta with us. Harsh, thanks for coming. Hi, Kushal. How are you? I'm I'm good. So, Harsh, let's do this. मैं थोड़ा confused हूँ इस बार के budget से because ah uh, you know I thought the last budget uh, set a trend and if you remember I had asked you a question about this also. So first question is this. So last budget I was sensing a trend that slowly but surely ah uh, the government is trying to create an atmosphere where the budget becomes less and less important and we eventually go to a phase eventually where we may even get rid of this whole drama itself. So do you get that uh, we are continuing that trend in this budget too? Yeah, I think the trend is very much towards de-emphasizing the budget, making it "quote unquote" less glamorous or less dramatic or less newsworthy. Um, so I think that's definitely happening. I don't think we'll ever probably get rid of it totally, but yes, there will always be some kind of fiscal financial appropriations bills on some kind of regular time metric, like annually. But um, I think the trend is very clear that you make policy throughout the year. We've already shifted the dates. We have. at some point probably going to merge the fiscal year and the calendar year we've gone from yes. march to first february we might go to first january um we might go from cash accounting to accruals accounting some things might change but uh, already the railway budget has been combined and in general people are not announcing things for this or that state so it's much more stayed stable boring and to that extent actually good affair uh, welcoming and encouraging for investors and business people and job seekers alike yeah in my experience um i don't know how to put it uh, policy making tends to be better when it is boring uh, because uh, it because it is a very dry sort of a subject right policy making is a very dry sort of a subject uh, people if they if they always notice that i i in fact had written a thread thread on this like politics has two aspect there is a performative aspect and the and the policy aspect and usually what happens is the performative is done to keep the people engaged but we have a little bit too much of it happening in india that is a separate issue but the policy aspect is always very dry boring i mean it's it's like you know it takes you back to the old dd days where all well behaved people came on the screen and i used to have such nice conversation i, I actually miss that maybe i'm more of that type uh and less but maybe that space is taken over by by pod, podcasting now but harsh my now so let's go to the meat of the budget and there are many criticisms that i have separately you know taken notes of and i want to ask you in the latter half but now let's start with this so what are your overall thoughts now of this budget and what do you think is the good and the bad and the ugly in this budget so so first of all you are absolutely right that you know politicians not just in india across the world in any mature democracy they campaign in poetry they govern in prose and they govern in prose precisely because um when you have to take a decision as opposed to promising uh then when you take when you're deciding you have to face the trade offs right there are things are rarely black and white there are always two sides to the equation um and you know some people might benefit and some people might lose and you as a policy maker have to think of what is the best overall outcome so so absolutely agree with the with the preface that you said now on this budget i think very positive budget uh, besides the fact that i mentioned earlier on that there's a lot of continuity and stability on the policy and the taxes and so on and so forth um the budget has a very clear intent of uh, besides the expenditure that's locked in you know like that's interest payments 
it's government salaries defense is also for all practical purposes locked in and various central schemes and so on and so forth as much of the money that was discretionary kind of available to the policy makers the finance minister her team of course in uh, consultation with the prime minister's office they have emphasized capex capital uh, capital expenditure especially public capital expenditure uh and of course the the idea is to what is known as crowding in private capital expenditure by first uh you as the government spending in uh spending on public capex with the focus obviously being on physical hard infrastructure railroads uh the idea is that you know obviously the long term infrastructure spending is very unique kind of spending because in the long term it increases the productive capacity of the economy it decreases logistics costs it makes your manufacturing another production more viable um including some kind of services but in the short term it also is a demand supply uh, boost because it creates jobs so in the short term it's a demand boost in the mid to long term it's a supply boost so it basically ticks both the boxes because if you do only let's say extreme case cash transfers uh then it depends how the public spends that money right because it it obviously is a demand boost but to the extent they save it and then they spend it on what exactly um whereas if you focus on public capex then you know there are blue collar jobs created for all these highways and railways that you are creating um and then long term that's the gift that keeps on giving in a poor dense country like india uh, of course you have to keep on making sure that the that the uh, most unfortunate section of the society and pandemic is still not fully quite over although now we might be able to say that we are getting we are finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel uh, but yes finally that you know the free rations i think are being ended in march um so basically a lot of people were getting very subsidized not exactly free uh, rations uh, i think 75% of india was so so that takes care of you know the worst case scenario and then all the extra expenditure they're trying to focus on public capex 100 billion dollars is the direct amount which is 7 and 1/2 lakh crore rupees and if you include some state uh, capex as well as uh, capex that th- which happens through slightly modified versions of nreg etc then it's more like 10.5 lakh crores which is a huge amount not just an absolute amount but also as a percentage of the budget and a percentage of gdp um and in fact it's a massive uh, jump on last year when part of the capex was actually paying off the debt of uh, air india because it was privatized and you know so called handed back to the tatars so so just just focusing on long term supply capacity while simultaneously creating short term demand through blue collar jobs i think that was a defining feature of the budget and that is very difficult for politicians to do in as a general rule because capital expenditure is a very long gestation project uh, it does not have that immediate sugar high it's like you going to gym and going regularly and after a few months seeing some improvement but for those few months you might have all kinds of moods from the very bottom to the very high right and you are you not necessarily feeling great about it as opposed to immediately going out and partying tomorrow or as i often say like if you're going to see a urban infrastructure just going and seeing manufacturing of uh, sorry the construction of metro stations all over mumbai for example where you live uh it blocks half the roads it creates a lot of chaos you know it's not very aesthetically pleasing as well until it is being constructed uh but once it is there then it's great 
so 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 capital expenditure infrastructure spending literally a few weeks before the country's most important assembly elections of course including uttar pradesh the country's largest state uh, i think it's a sign of confidence of the government it's a sign of prioritizing long term growth um, and there's a lot of rhetoric around it but this i think was the most impressive part of the budget there are some uh, negatives you asked about the good bad and ugly i think for me the biggest miss was that they did not uh, create the facilitating environment for us entering these global bond indices which is indian government bonds entering these global etfs through these kind of jp morgan bloomberg bond indices what happens is you get a lot of stable money what's known as passive money which enters indian markets to buy indian bonds in rupee terms so therefore they take the currency risk we don't take it and the funny thing is we are already we've been doing this forever for our equities so you've basically made it easier for foreigners to buy your stocks which is basically a share of your profit but you are saying we will never allow you to buy a rupee denominated government debt in which case their upside is limited right and and that the benefit is your cost of capital for a for a smaller medium sized businessman goes down because the large guys can already go to the foreign markets and borrow in dollars if they think that is right so the, the, i think there was some bureaucratic delay let's see what happens but that was the one miss i think the budget clearly had because the bond yields went up the 10 year yield in india is almost at 7% now it was around 6.6 6.7 before the budget it's now 6.9 um so i think the the markets were expecting opening up this new source of government debt financing in a, on our own terms in rupee terms uh, and i think that did not happen so that was the one big miss i would say in the budget you know i i i actually wanted to take you up on this particular thing that you tweeted out because that is something that uh, i i know you spoke about it just now but let's dig a little deeper okay. you know you said i'm trying to still wrap my head around 25k kilometers of highways over the next financial year or fiscal year whatever you want to call it uh, that is an incredible number that is a near 18% increase of course in real terms over the existing base of a bit more than 140000 kilometers i actually you know when you put it even i started to wonder i was like log karenge kaise and uh, now the thing is the one minister in charge over there nitin gadkari i mean it doesn't get better than him to at least in terms of the record of all ministers in india he is and this is irrespective of my political leanings but i just think he's the best minister in india in that department in terms of actual absolute performance but why what, what were you thinking as in were you having my kind of doubts or where were you coming from so that two three aspects of it i think speaking of uh, mr gadkari ji uh, he has apparently a board on his in his office or on his office walls saying that america is america does not have great roads because it is rich america is rich because it has great roads so which is very interesting like you know way of understanding cause and effect um and basically he's saying it's not like when you have money then you'll have infrastructure as a nice to have luxury but what he is saying is you get rich because you have this infrastructure and that is what increases the productive capacity of your economy uh, and of course he has a track record to prove it the mumbai pune expressway he actually had uh, worked on it 20 years ago now actually more than 20 years ago um great great execution very optimistic guy you know has been a very senior minister and bjp political leader for a long time was president earlier is close to the rss is from nagpur so he also has the weight therefore to push 
and get things done when you know different agencies or state governments or banks get involved you also need the weight to be able to push it which he brings to the table so i think so obviously a lot of credit to him yes the number is incredible because if you have 140000 pace and you add in 25000 that's you know more than a sixth 17 18% you're adding so you know, if, if the if the cumulative basis of 70 years and in one year you're adding almost one fifth or at least you're planning to add one fifth that shows the extent of the ambition um and i've often said i think including on your podcast earlier as well as in my writings in 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 my tweets and in other videos that you know india's population density is based in the ganga valley region the yamuna ganga valley region unlike china for example which is on their eastern seafront their coasts um of course along with the rivers as well and because in india's case our rivers became less navigable or not navigable for commercial traffic at all partially because you know we had to take out more and more water for irrigation purposes and dig out canals and then all our industries slowly went to south india and west india because they were basically near to the ports there were other mistakes about freight nationalization wrong economic policies etc but the bulk of the population is in let's say from indian punjab to indian bengal of course up bihar jharkhand parts of madhya pradesh parts of northeast down to orissa right this whole extended gangetic valley region has slightly less than a billion people if you count it in a slightly larger sense uh, and is the relatively less developed part of india except for the region around delhi and cr which now includes large parts of haryana so except that part most of this part is less developed compared to the rest of the country and a huge reason is because the logistics there is not cost effective a lot of the manufacturing and therefore the entire ecosystem happens in gujarat or tamil nadu or maharashtra um and so on and so forth and then people have to migrate from their family places to for, to get jobs in other places and that leads to all kinds of problems as well um so so this infrastructure that is being built these roads will be a huge part of this region which has even by indian standards cheap labor has even bigger demographic dividend this part of the country of course along with the rest of the country will be able to leverage that cost arbitrage and therefore not just manufacture for india but also export it all over the world which historically has been the strong point of this entire region from eastern up bihar bengal what is now bangladesh parts of assam you know bengal cotton and bengal textiles were very famous as export products for centuries and part of the reason was the dense population here the very hard working and creative population and using the rivers for navigation now the new rivers are roads the new rivers are railroads the new rivers are the dedicated freight corridor which is coming up basically cheap logistics and uh, that's how all other countries became rich you know including the united states the mississippi valley was used by it they made the erie canal to go from the midwest to new york uh, they used to call it internal improvements back in the day in 17th 18th century anglo american discourse we now call it infrastructure but basically the concept is the same how do you go from point a to point b for your goods or for people at a lower and lower cost so that you have larger and larger markets which you can serve and therefore you can do more specialization and therefore be more productive and cost effective and have better quality so but one thing i must add about the roads is that it was unclear to me and it is still unclear how it is being counted a lot of people pointed out to me that actually 
we have jumped to a standard whereby kilometers are now counted as kilometer lanes. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so just to be sure, the 18% point still stands because so long as the numerator and denominator are both calculated in the same manner, you know, 25,000 divided by 140,000 is the same ratio or percentage increase. Uh, but I was trying to understand that. I, I got some conflicting feedback from some people. I'm still trying to figure that out because I've seen people have said, including the, uh, the minister himself, Katkari, that we've gone to kilometer lane. But I've seen some conflicting reports, the way how you count it, irrespective of that, uh, just on a year on year basis, it's a massive improvement, not only compared to earlier years of the Modi administration, the last seven, eight years, but also, of course, compared to all other governments earlier with with a brief spike during Vajpayee's time when they were focusing on golden quadrilateral. Um, and now it's much more than that. So I think the infrastructure, as you discussed, very boring, uh, very long gestation investment. Uh, you know, you can't go and say you're giving jobs directly to people. It's not an NRDG scheme that you can tom-tom. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on the government to create something known as the urban equivalent of NRDG. Because people were saying there is a lot of blue-collar distress. There's a lot of SME, MSME distress. And we don't want these people to go back to their villages. Why don't you create some kind of public works program within the cities? And I'm glad they did not do that. Because uh, what would have happened is, I think it's better to directly just give cash than to pretend and force poor people to do something which can be done more productively through machines, through JCBs, through a proper private sector contractual basis like we are doing for our metros, bridges, roads, ports. Uh, I think it's better to keep asset construction and job creation slash welfare separate. Even if for the uh, for the cash transfers, you can make it conditional on, for example, getting vaccination or getting your kids vaccinated, uh, not for not just for COVID, but for, you know, DPT, all the basic vaccines, making sure your kids are enrolled in school. Like you can have all these kind of, you know, mild forms of social engineering if you want to not have a pure cash transfer. But it is better not to force people to pretend to work in the sun for long hours to do something which can be done much more efficiently by machine. And something that I've seen personally in the way NRG was implemented in villages across India a few years ago. So, so I'm glad the government did not fall prey to populist pressures like creating new schemes. Uh, mm -hmm. They're instead focused on asset creation. And they're hoping that will lead to a multiplier effect uh, for job creation. But I must again add that if the idea of privating, private crowding in of capital, the idea is if your government spends money inefficiently, what we say in economics jargon is private investment gets crowded out. What, what they mean by that is you have only X amount of financial capital in an economy. And if you put that inefficiently through the government borrowing or taxes uh, for, for, for factories or for private R&D, the cost of borrowing increases and therefore you're crowding out effective allocation of capital. Uh, the idea with public capex is you are not doing it in a wasteful manner. You are not doing it purely for redistribution. You're doing it for long-term growth, but short-term job creation like infrastructure. And that is supposed to crowd in investment. I do think that will happen. I do think the bond markets have overreacted because one very interesting thing about this budget is like last year, it is very transparent and also very conservative. In fact, it's likely to be more conservative. We'll come to that in a moment. The numbers are much more conservative than what the reality is likely to actually be for FY23. But, be, but because the bond issue that we discussed, 
the the markets initially got a bit spooked that okay you are doing all this great investment you've taken a risk you bet on india you've bet on growth but where is the money going to come because ultimately right now the rest of the world is talking about inflation and reducing monetary support what is known as tapering uh so so where are we going to get that incremental rupee from and that is the that is the only lacuna in the budget so far yeah you know what one thing stood out for me um i'll tell you i people might laugh at me but i think this was interesting and so was pointed out to me by my friend ajay and then i started looking i mean you also know ajay so you know ajay actually mentioned this and this is very interesting thing so the government said they will have a one class one tv channel program on of pm e with their which will will be expanded from 12 to 200 tv channels and they will basically focus on providing supplementary education in regional languages uh, i'll share my experience of uh, rural india i think this will be path breaking because teachers ki availability hai nahi rural india mein aur since they started doing this aadhar pruning and many other things ajay was right he was telling me and i went and checked yes a lot of teachers have gone away so it was creating a lot of vacancies and you just don't find teachers to go to rural india and in such a scenario this might actually end up being a good you know fair solution to this problem because I otherwise agree. i don't i don't see the rural uh, education standard increasing yeah, I, i agree with uh, what you are saying and what ajay is saying because uh, see the incremental cost of another student seeing this channel is zero right so you basically you basically create this content library you put it on tv and of course on tv it means also will be available freely online or everybody basically has at least some kind of or more and more people very likely almost everybody in the next one or two years will have at least some basic version of smartphone and very cheap internet in india so on youtube already there is a lot of free edtech content for indian students but they tend to be in english and hindi yes um, regional languages may not be fully served because of the fragmented nature of the market and therefore to that extent this is one of those kind of no brainer ideas which i i think is 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 it shows how thoughtful the budget has been in that sense of attention to detail in fact one additional point just in that domain is i think they have also created something for mental health um within the same budget like they they are also trying to create content uh, for mental health of course all of this is only supplement to actual physical brick and mortar schooling right we are not i think we should not assume i don't i don't think the budget also assumes that this is in any way a substitute for actual schooling there is been i think both of us are agreeing on that that massive unnecessary damage to education in india and by closing schools uh, i think i think in delhi at least they're opening it right now uh, starting tomorrow but that maharashtra also... has opened them maharashtra has opened them we have destroyed our children but that is for another day yeah so well okay not maybe not destroyed but definitely because a lot of damage and uh, mara and good to know that maharashtra has opened it so delhi is now opening it in a graded manner um, so so at least whatever we can do in a supplementary tv channel across languages at tech manner for actual pedagogical purposes but also for mental health and counseling purposes you know people can always scoff and say oh, kab banega kaise banega how will it actually reach the you know final mile all that is there but it is you know i'm um, <laughs> spending hundreds of billions of dollars this may not even cost hundreds of millions of dollars like thousand times less and this if it works out 
can be a great uh, president so i fully agree with you like it, it shows that you know you are thinking a bit out of the box you're not just trying to do departmental allocations uh, there is a separate budget which is not just about outlays but about outcomes you know some kind of analysis which the niti aayog guys do so uh, so yeah so the last few years basically the government has also tried to make the budget as you said less glamorous more predictable changing the dates combining it to railway budget but last two budgets especially the fiscal accounting has been much more transparent whatever money they are taking from the small saving funds it's put up in front and center whatever is happening uh with the with the with the food corporation of india it's all in black and white there is nothing what is known as below um, the line everything is above the line in terms of the actual deficit uh, and you can just add the state deficit and that is the consolidated government deficit of india so there is no hanky panky you don't have to double guess the numbers which in turn increases the risk premium and this year see last year also the numbers were quite conservative but then a the devastating wave happened the delta wave in april may june and the less devastating but nonetheless uncertainty causing omicron wave that is now kind of tapering off um so and they did not really push hard on the divestment as well except these one or two marky ones privatization ones but next year they are assuming nominal growth rate of only 11.12 or 3% like something less than 11 and a half percent whereas they are estimating real growth to be i think 8 to 9% 8 and a half percent Uh, which means that assuming the gdp deflator uh, which is a measure one measure of inflation to be not even 3% and uh, yes so and the deflator is a rough average of the cpi and wpi the cpi is relatively stable core cpi is even more stable the wpi is very volatile so so uh, last year it was negative this this year it has constantly been in double budget, double digits next year it might again be uh, very low and therefore the deflator might be a bit lower but i think even then they have basically assumed very 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 conservative numbers and if it seems like it does that covid is finally behind us the 6.4% number that they have penciled in as the fiscal consolidated fiscal deficit of the union government as a percentage of gdp uh, will turn out to be easily will be less than that so it will be 6% not 6.4% for example they'll have more tax buoyancy and as a percentage of the gdp they'll probably spend less if they spend the same amounts um just as a point of comparison 6.8% was the target for fy22 what is known as be budgeted estimate but the re uh, or the actual estimate uh, right now is 6.9% but that is partially because of the two waves that happened in this fiscal year um along with uh, with last year the numbers were actually relatively aggressive on privatization this year even those numbers are very very lowly assumed uh, same with indirect taxation parts of customs and excise very 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 conservative numbers even compared to last year so i think the government is deliberately setting itself up for a positive surprise um, and which is also why the sticker shock the bond markets perhaps overreacted so i think i think the idea is that now government is transparent it's honest it's forward looking it's capex oriented and it is not trying to sell crazy dreams through fiscal mathematics of the budget uh so for a change you know let's be positively surprised on the numbers uh, let let the let the symmetry of the surprises be both on the upside and downside so in that sense uh for long term credibility of indian macroeconomic numbers in that that this budget is a win in that sense as well all right just to make a few more things uh you know i mean whatever it's like 
I think the government announced the IPO for LIC is going to be coming. I they think. had announced earlier, and uh, apparently they have uh, said it will now happen in the next ten days or something. So they they want it to happen within this fiscal, that is FY twenty two and not FY twenty three. Now, where mm. do the numbers go is a separate issue, but uh, yeah, so uh, that that will be the big daddy of all IPOs. Yeah, um, that's why I was looking forward to it. Uh, so it, so it it will be interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I think overall the budget is not causing a lot of discussion. That's good. I think broadly there's a lot of stability and certainty. The the finance minister had promised earlier that by the seventy fifth. Um, Independence anniversary, so let's say 15th August 2022, the 2019 increase in the top income tax rates, which now including all the surcharges and cesses at 43%, uh, will be reduced. So that was not done in this budget. I think that's fair because there's a perception that inequality has been exacerbated in India during the pandemic. Although there is a paper by I think NYU Stern professor Arpit Gupta and his colleagues. That actually did, that did not happen. The reverse happened, and uh, of course the numbers differ. Maybe the one percentile, top one percentile, benefited a lot, but inequality depends on the 80th and 90th and 70th percentile as well, right? Compared to the median, and they are the ones who run the shops, uh, Agarwal Bhandar in South Bombay or you know whatever some suites in some other part of India. They actually did not benefit much in the pandemic. They actually suffered. So, by some metrics, actually, inequality did not increase during the pandemic in India. But nonetheless, this is a political perception it has. So, for now, that promise has been postponed. Um, but it it does. It's not just about benefiting whom. Like you know, ultimately, higher tax rates in India cause less collections. There is a problem of compliance. You know, different kind of taxes have different problems. Like fuel taxes have a much lower compliance issue. Which is one of the reasons why the government, state governments, and central governments have been ready to soak up tax rupees through petrol and diesel. Because you know, you go you go to a petrol pump. There are only so many petrol pumps in a city. It's all digital. You get a bill, etc. It's difficult to skip adding the tax onto that. But if when you're self-reported individual taxation, especially outside of a salaried job, salary me to kya it's TDS and it's all deducted. But in a, like a small businessman. You have to think of what is known as a Laffer curve effect. I think the middle class could have gotten some tax uh, benefits, especially incentivizing them to buy a house, flat. I think that was not done. I think the government still runs very conservative assumptions on tax buoyancy. I do think lower tax rates. I'm not saying increase the tax cutoff. That we need to increase the base. So I'm not saying go from effectively three four lakh rupees of You paying your first tax rupee effectively, you go make that to five lakh. No, keep that at three or four lakh rupees. Officially, it's two and a half lakhs. But the rates could be reduced up across the spectrum. So if I don't know if thirty percent kicks in at ten twelve lakhs, maybe that should kick in at twenty percent, twenty lakhs, and maybe uh, there should be no higher rate above that because I think that finally will incentivize the remaining black to white conversion of so called wealth in India along with. Real estate and connecting that to Aadhaar and all that. So, so if ultimately we want to make sure that the pain of demonetization and GST um, is supplemented by the gain, and in the case of GST, we are already seeing very strong numbers. Uh, although there is something to be discussed about federalism there in the long run, but things like demonetization will make much more sense 
cumulatively and comprehensively if our direct tax reforms happen. And you know, the DTC, the direct tax code reform report is not being made public. Uh, so that is one thing the government, nonetheless, I think they did the right thing by not tweaking it because ultimately there's too much movement, too much volatility, too much uncertainty, and they might do it next year because ultimately next year's budget is the last full budget before the 2024 general election. Uh, mm. It will be a 2024 February budget as well, but that's not for the full year before the elections. So I think on the whole, despite the case for tweaking there, not doing it may still have been the right decision in this context. Now I'll tell you a few things that um, we'll keep the crypto thing later on because and anyways, live viewers have questions on crypto. But I wanted to focus on something else that Bug me. People are obsessed with this crypto thing. Anyway, then. Yeah, yeah. But actually, you know, this budget had this 2.3 lakh crore farmer soft, right? For procurement of pretty much MSP. Right, right, right. How can one justify this? I don't. I am not able to wrap my head around it. I can't justify it. I think you justify it by understanding you are in a political economy. <laughs> you are not. Matlab, yeah, justifications are political, not economic. That's yeah. It. So I, 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 I'm not saying it's economic. I, I, I think uh, if you were to redesign Indian agriculture procurement from scratch, uh, you would have a different set of tools. You would basically make sure a the government has buffers all the time. That's a good idea. You would invest in the quality of those go-downs, which the FCI is doing to some extent. I think a lot of it actually does rot, but not to the extent as politic as popular understanding is. But yes, we are overflowing. To be fair, we did make good use of that during the pandemic to some extent by giving out all these grains. Um, so it worked out a bit there. We are also now trying to double down on biofuels, saying that, okay, if the political economy imperative is there, might as well convert some of that into energy through petrol and diesel mixing, right? So, so we are trying to make it as sensible as possible. But the thing with MSP is because it was never defined in India in terms of is region sitna lenge, us state sitna lenge, there was no metric around it. And de facto ended up focusing disproportionately in Punjab and Haryana where the green revolution happened. So more like historical and legacy reasons. And rest of the country, not so much. Uh, and of course, places which are water deficient, you kind of you incentivize paddy growth and all kinds of knock-on negative effects in terms of the water. It's ruined Punjab even more, don't you think? Well, I don't want to comment specifically on Punjab because I have not studied Punjabi agriculture in detail. But yes, from what I hear, that Punjab is a relatively dry area. It's not Bengal. So if you are incentivizing massive procurement of Wheat still understandable, but even paddy, um, some of it, of course, is illegally sold from other states and then procured through Punjab. But uh, so, you know, that kind of thing is obviously not very sensible. Uh, I think the context here obviously is the farm law reforms, which uh, ultimately were withdrawn. Uh, and uh, the government basically wants to say, fine, on this political economy issue, we withdraw and we'll just do more of the same. I think if we were to redesign it from scratch, we'll use something like put options, like selling farmers that they get price insurance 
uh, we'll double much more on insurance, not just price, but quality and quantity insurance for farmers. Uh, we'll uh, we'll let free markets work, which is what the farm reforms were trying to do. We'll let people invest in containers, cold storage, etc., without the risk of hoarding or laws, basically Byzantine laws around hoarding being, you know, kind of a Democles sword on top of their heads. That was the whole point of these farm reforms that you allow private investment and private procurement to gradually compete with public procurement, not to end public procurement, but obviously that political economy thing did not work out for now. In retrospect, one can always say that you should not introduce a deep supply reform which affects the masses during a pandemic because that's exactly when people are most concerned uh, about their economic well-being, especially in a country which does not have a reserve currency like India right now. So, we can discuss that, but yeah, I, I am not at all giving an economic rationale for that. I think it's very much part of the political economy context of the budget. Yep, I agree with you. Yeah, overall, another thing, I guess, the defense spending, uh, overall defense budget 2022-23 stands at 5.25 lakh crore, up from 4.7 yeah, lakh crore in 21-22. More than the money, money obviously is an aspect, the focus on indigenizing on creating this, our, you know, in a positive connotation sense, uh, our own industrial military defense innovation complex, uh, having 68% of uh, CapEx on defense being earmarked for Indian or private, including, of course, uh, with foreign JVs, uh, procurement, that is very good. Having 25% of the defense R&D spend procured, uh, earmarked for Indian uh, private companies, that's very good. So, so, so it's not just the quantity of spending, it's also the quality of spending. I think another thing in the budget that we can discuss is the E-Rupee, the CBDC, the Central Bank of Digital Currency, which is different from cryptocurrencies or so-called cryptocurrencies. It, is, it will use blockchain as one of the building blocks, but the idea is it's just a rupee, except it's a digital rupee. There's no speculation. It's, in, in crypto language, it's, it can be called a stable coin. It's just a rupee. It's just a, and instead of your PDM or one question, how yeah. is it different from UPI or any kind of rupee digitally then? I'll tell you. So UPI is uh, you use banks or some other mechanism. You'll take out your money from your bank. UPI is a mechanism through which you send it to somebody else, right? Uh, in this case, instead of me having 100 rupees in my wallet or 100 rupees in my bank account or 100 rupees in my PTM wallet, I have 100 rupees effectively in a Government of India app or RBI app, if you want to think of it. In a way, it is long-term actually very interesting disintermediation aspects of the current banking industry. But, you know, that's some way off. So the idea is, let us say there's a GOI RBI app and Kushal Mehra has 10,000 rupees in it. So he does not need to go through a Paytm or an HDFC bank. That app you basically directly have an account with the government of India. The government is directly being the banker, so to speak. And you can transfer it. The idea is not a CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. Um, and there are all kinds of aspects to it. People have raised privacy concerns on one side. On the other hand, everything is now traceable. You can't use it for wrong purposes. And uh, just the frictions get reduced dramatically, right? Because if you think about it, um, if a lot of these fintech guys are just giving you their app, then the government is basically saying, maybe I can do that as well. You, you can just, you don't need the intermediary uh, just as a 
kind of fictional place to keep your money just keep it with me uh so so that's it's a long term interesting we can discuss an entire episode on that but basically that's what a cbdc is and i think one of the reasons the government kind of quasi legalized cryptocurrencies but added a 30% tax plus 1% tds and so on and so forth was the rbi must have said okay if you're going down that road i want you to please help me push our e rupee or whatever the name they'll come up with um so just to juxtapose that we are not against innovation at all we are just against anybody except the sovereign claiming to run a currency so so if you want to play with digital assets pay steep capital gains tax on it be my guest it's not a currency for transactions you use my rupee for transactions let's call it an e rupee let's call it a cbdc i think that was the broader context of the rbi and government behind the scenes probably discussing these things okay now we go to that point you raised earlier on that you think overall this budget is very conservative so how do you make it because then i have to tear talk to you about some hilarious criticisms also because i have to talk about it but yeah. so first make that point yeah so when i say conservative i meant in terms of the revenue they are forecasting uh, that the taxes the union will get union government will get in fy23 uh, april 2022 to march 2023 uh, is predicated on a nominal gdp expansion of just 11% or so uh, which if you are saying your real gdp will grow by 8 to 9% uh, then in terms of the inflation or more technically def- what is known as a deflator that 11% seems very conservative and then on top of that what is known as a tax buoyancy factor so you first you have to convert the real gdp to nominal gdp assuming some inflation or deflator and then the nominal gdp you have to convert that to taxes that you'll get so if your nominal gdp goes up by 10% does your no, does your tax collection go up by 15% 10% 8% so that ratio is kind of understood as tax buoyancy this year it was extremely positive uh, next year they're not really assuming that at all so they are they are conservative on the nominal gdp growth rate because of deflator and then they are conservative on what that translates into tax collections personally i think they're also conservative on the real gdp side but that's a separate debate uh, that's my personal opinion but broader consensus definitely is that at least on the deflator that is the inflation number and hence nominal gdp and what it translates into revenues taxes for the union government and therefore the fiscal deficit will not be as high as they are saying they are right now saying 6.4% of gdp the idea is to go to 4.5% by FY 25 26 so so they have a long term consolid macroeconomic fiscal consolidation roadmap which is good it needs to be communicated to all stakeholders they don't have an equivalent of that on the monetary side but that's a separate issue but on the fiscal side the frbm for all practical purposes is dead the fiscal consolidation uh, budget roadmaps that we had fiscal responsibility and budget management act of i think 2002 was it it's all for all practical purposes dead because of this emergency that we've gone through and earlier they used to hide the spending across governments now they're being honest but there is a clear emergency so frbm it was amended i think in 2018 but it will it will probably need further amendments okay now <laughs> i want to talk about a few but I, i don't know i had to mention this i had a hearty laugh when i read this that's why Mm-hmm. so mk venu <laughs> i have to control my laughter even when i read this mk venu had tweeted budget projects nominal gdp growth of 11% in a year of hyper global inflation if inflation 
bracket mein hai gdp deflator in this case turns out to be 7 to 8% which is quite likely then real gdp could slide back to 3 to 4% finance secretary hopes gdp deflator may not be so high in 2022 to 23 so hope <laughs> iska kya kare aise criticism ka <laughs> no so i was just explaining that right so it is just conservative i mean he is basically saying he is saying ki main 11% government ka sach manunga लेकिन मैं गवर्नमेंट का रियल जीडीपी ग्रोथ रेट एट एंड हाफ परसेंट वो सच नहीं मानूंगा ऐसे थ्रेड होता है नेगेटिव so it might again mean revert to very low numbers next year and therefore the overall deflator which is a rough average of cpi and wpi may not be 8% uh even so even so it is true that the nominal gdp growth rate of around 11% is a conservative number and while i don't think they should have been so conservative it is refreshing that for a change the government is under promising and not over promising to that extent it is un- it is refreshing All right. So now I have to. <laughs> I'm going to share the screen. It's again, and I'm going to read his statement too because his statement was far better oh. than his press conference. His written statement. I'm talking about P. Chitambaram ji. So you know he starts this. To just budget speech was the most capitalist speech to be ever heard read by a fi- finance minister. The word poor occurs only twice in para six, and we thank finance minister for remembering that there are poor people in this country. people will reject this capitalist budget then he goes i was astonished shocked that the finance minister was outlining a plan for the next 25 years government seems to believe that the present one does not need any attention and the public can be asked to wait patiently until amrit kaal dawns this is mocking the people of india this op- so now this is there okay this is all you know the politicking part but now i'm going to share the opening statement of peach dabbar this is a written statement this was obviously written this one i don't know if you went through it so you know the bullet points i wanted to uh, you know make because see my job is at least show the criticism of the government no, of course we must we must so it, we have to look at it so so chidambaram saab has said india's economy has not recovered yet to the level in pre pandemic year of 2019 20 in the last two years millions of jobs have been lost some perhaps forever approximately 16 60 lakh msmes were closed down i actually am very sympathetic to this criticism and every state government has a role to play because of the stupid lockdowns in the pandemic two pandemic years 84% of households have suffered a loss of income per capita income has declined from 1 lakh 8645 In 1920, to one lakh seven thousand eight zero one in 2122, or even less. 
per capita expenditure has declined from 62,000 approximately in 1920 to 59,000 in 21-22. An estimated 4.6 crore people have been pushed into extreme poverty, huge earning loss among school children, especially children who live in rural India and are enrolled in government schools. Malnutrition, stunting and wasting among children has increased and India's rank in the global hunger index has fallen to 101 out of 116 countries. The unemployment rates have reached 8.2% for urban and 5.8% for rural workers. WPI inflation is estimated at 12% and CPI inflation at 5.3%. So these are, the rest is just, you know, political statements in the next phase, like welfare thrown for the winds. He talks about subsidy. No, so, so let's, let's take his numbers. Let's take the criticism. We absolutely must discuss it. Um, yeah, You're absolutely right on the MSME front. We must be very sympathetic to that. And, and, the, and the responsibility there falls on a number of shoulders, not just the union government, but the state governments as well. Uh, but I must say that this, the selection of the data is done obviously in a very calculated, uh, a bit too clever by half manner. He has chosen yeah. the poverty increase numbers from literally the peak to the bottom. Um, you know, let's say 4.6 crore people who pushed into absolute poverty last year. And this year, more than 5 crore people have been gone out of poverty. You don't show that number. You basically show the number which was at the worst time. Even those numbers are calculated often on the basis of income and not on the basis of consumption. And the consumption has to include transfers, what is known as post-transfers. For example, the government giving basically free or fully free food grains to almost anybody who can remotely come close to poverty. And this is something which I used to think, I don't know, but I actually confirmed with a lot of people who are hailing from villages in UP or Bihar, uh, who work in Kolkata and elsewhere in the country I've spoken to. Uh, apparently, everybody is getting the grains. So it's not just something on paper. Um, so if you include those things, it's not actually true. Now, in terms of the consumption and the income per capita numbers he was talking about, it's it's true that he has shown constant, what is known as inflation adjusted and not nominal numbers. He's right mm -hmm. to do that because after all, if your GDP fell by 7.3% in FI20, which by the way, sorry, FI21, the first year of the pandemic, uh, which, by the way, has now been revised upward to 6.6%. Uh, many people did not notice that. So we did not actually fall by 7.3% in real terms, but 6.6%. And if, let's say, this year we grow by 9.2%, uh, then if you do the math, then we are around 2 or 3%, 2% ahead, net-net. And if you have a 2% increase in population, on a per capita basis, you're flat in two years. Right? You're flat in two years because now, of course, um, the last year, which you're using, which is FI22, the first quarter was wiped out because of the Delta wave. That number is included there. So a true number would be a year in which there is no real damage because of COVID. And therefore, you can see if the citizens could be fully productive for the year, what would that number be? Because you ultimately can't get money out of nowhere. So I think we will very soon find out for FI23 what those numbers are. I think in many ways, the conservative numbers that you and I were discussing do not help in political rhetoric in that sense of the government because they can't talk big. After all, yeah. they have basically been very conservative. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I don't, the flat numbers on per capita basis are obviously true because you had negative growth one year, then you had positive growth the other year and you had slight population increase, which is the natural trend in India right now. And therefore on a, on a per capita basis, that's not there. But in terms of consumption, 
Has there been a massive increase in hunger? No, that's not the case. You would really need to show any proof for that, for that to be true. That's not there. I'm not even talking uh, malnourishment, which has been endemic in large parts of Indian society. We are working on that. But definitely undernourishment or just pure hunger, that is not there to be seen in any large increase of numbers, uh, if at all any increase. So that if anybody who's making that claim should show data for that or any kind of even uh, respectable collection of anecdotes for that. Um, in terms of jobs, see in India, measuring jobs is very difficult. Um, we are now working on what is known as the e-shram to kind of have a collect, even for blue collar workers to have <coughs> an organized database, even if it's the jobs they are working on and it's not exactly organized or they don't get, you know, their EPF, etc. Um, in India, uh, Dr. T.V. Somanathan, who is the finance secretary right now, the top bureaucrat in the finance ministry, happens to be just coincidentally a co-author of my first book. He he said that he thinks that there are the jobs that are remaining are basically in the high contact or high high uh, contact services, for example, hospitality and everything else that goes on in the ecosystem. People are not moving enough yet. The Omicron kind of delayed the final normalization of economic activity. There are a bunch of local lockdowns that you and I spoke about. Uh, it does not seem to be a demand-based problem per se. Sanjeev Sanyal, the principal economic advisor, has said that. I think the new chief economic advisor, Anand Nageshwaran, has also hinted at that. One way to understand that is, well, India's imports are booming almost as fast as India's exports, right? So th that's a sign of demand not being there. The question then is, what people say, well, that's demand only by the rich. Then you have to go into these numbers of inequality, Gini coefficient, jobs being created. As of now, there is too much flux in the data really to say that any job losses, which definitely happened during the lockdowns, have not been reversed. That is the question. If you take from, say, starting March of 2020 and the lockdown happened on 20th March 2020 to, say, June 2020, and then again from April 2021 to June 2021, if those are the two or three, four months, two periods you focus on, of course, there were massive job losses, especially in the first one. But if, if that is where you stop, then you're, you're just doing demagoguery. You're not really having a serious conversation on the economic numbers. So, so yeah, his points are valid in terms of if you use that starting and ending point, a lot of these numbers come from CMIE, which is a private estimate, a private agency estimates jobs. And they've actually come up with very good numbers for the latest months. So, you know, you can pick and choose whatever numbers you want to, but the real per capita numbers will be interesting to see on an FY23 basis. Uh, see, they, they, uh, the Congress party also said there's a lot of pain thanks to demonetization. And there was some pain because of demonetization. Ironically, mm -hmm. it was followed by the Uttar Pradesh elections of 2017 and the BJP swept. Now, you can say some of it is because of ideological issues. Some of this is national security issues. Fine. Leadership issues. But a lot of it was actual delivery of Bijli Sadak Pani, like electricity, rural roads, now drinking water, you have Roti Kapramakani, basic infrastructure. So you basically have to now go and say people are completely dumb or they were geniuses when they voted for the UPA in 2004 and 2009 and suddenly they're all dumb bigots in 2014 and 19 and they will be again in 2022 if they don't vote according to the Congress. <laughs> so, so we have to be, I'm not saying that is the only judgment. Uh, markets are also not the only judgment, but markets, people's sentiments as reflected in voting patterns, along with our own a priori analysis with numbers as well, 
we have to form a collective kind of picture of what's happening based on all these three four things and i think based on that it's not i think it's an unfair criticism because the kind of work that has happened on this jalsenal scheme like especially in bihar especially in telangana and now in the rest of the country the fact that you have pakka roads across the country the fact that you have electricity reaching every single village and almost every single house and free data which of course technically is not because of the government it's because of private parties private companies but the living idea the fact that you're disconnected from the world is simply not true in indian villages anymore like 10 12 years ago when i for a few months worked in villages in rajasthan evenings there were extremely boring like <laughs> there's nothing to do in a village right this is like when people maybe few people had a few uh, normal phones not smartphones in terms of mm-hmm. cell phones literally nothing to do in the daytime the men of the village would gather read newspapers have you know whatever do some hookah etc but and the, the women and the girl child was always working very hard i must say and it was just really, really nothing to do and now they are all caught up with the rest of the world there are people who are working in small towns while their official job is in bangalore or pune or gurgaon and this decentralization of economic activity is happening some of this will revert back to quote unquote normal office jobs some of it will remain decentralized it will be a hybrid model so i i don't think that's a reality so let's see elections are a good way to gauge sentiment i i also have to read this one bit which i found very funny in the end he said you will ask me no doubt if there is not any aspect of the budget that i welcome there is a short list of three one the finance minister has promised capital expenditure of 750000 like crores in 2223 as against the re of the rupees 6 lakh 2711 crores including 50000 crores for air india if i'm not wrong so the the percentage jump is actually higher than even yeah. this significant jump please continue sorry yeah the finance minister has promised an additional borrowing of 1 lakh crore to the states free of interest and third this is the best part which you all i agree the budget switch was mercifully short at 1 hour and 30 minutes so i agree <laughs> I, i you know i think the finance minister will also agree if, uh, you know i you know one of the interesting things uh, kushal was they did not mention the name of a state per se they were not trying to pander to up or punjab or manipur or some other state that's going to election or some state that where the finance minister or the railway minister is from or where the prime minister is from you know remember nitish kumar budgets especially mamta banerjee budgets you know mm-hmm. so many trains are going to be based in bengal only or bihar only and so on and so forth that kind of thing has happened less uh they are still quoting poets and sages of our civilization which is good but they are quoting less of them sidambaram himself used to quote properly uh, many times one one might ask sidambaram when he presented budgets why did he not stop at 90 minutes if he is so happy at this budget ending in 90 minutes in terms of the speech uh, but yeah i agree i agree all these three points i think you know number 2 is interesting kushal because giving that extra spending power to states is actually a kind of a jujitsu because what this what the union government is trying to do i am just reading between the lines um i have no knowledge as such here uh, like like nobody has told me that's what they're doing is uh, they are basically saying that instead of giving another 5 years of uh, gst guarantee which is what the state governments are asking for saying you know this is very tough times uh you pass gst by guaranteeing us x percentage of cagr increase in gst state revenue for the next 5 years i think the number was 14% please do that for us again uh because times are tough otherwise there will be political damage for you 
the issue is if you give them in guarantee the state governments their incentive to actually ensure compliance of economic activity being properly formally without harassment being taxed in their states decreases because if they find if they go for taxation they become the local villains in the eyes of some businessmen or industrialists um but they're anyway getting money from the center so the incentives are very skewed so the 1 lakh crore might be an interesting way to say okay get this practically interest free loan spend it the way you think will boost capex in your respective states but because i've given you this money please do not come for me for a five year extension they may still do a one year extension for all i know but the idea is also to remove the pressure on the gst negotiations uh, is how i see number 2 but again i'm not sure all right so now i'm going to start taking all the viewer questions so first question uh, can the and, and this actually has bothered me too can the broad term world are mere ko bahut cheeze nahi karti hain jaise virat kohli ka captaincy chhodna wo mujhe bother nahi kiya mujhe bahut khushi hui so can the broad term visual digital asset be exploited by taxmen to go beyond crypto nft to cover kindle books digital creative ads used in online advertising digital video music downloads i am sorry i have to interrupt how can kindle books supply like this is when you buy something at cost and sell it higher than cost and therefore there is a capital gains on that i don't think i am buying kindle books and selling it to kushal i only buy kindle books from amazon i'm not transferring kindle books for a monetary payment right so this is i i don't and then he said about online advertising well that's interesting maybe a tds might apply there but i don't uh, there is no capital gains to point nahi samajh raha magar tds india ke andar kaat sakte na bahar wale ka tds kaise katega wo sab kaise karoge see that's an interesting point about how all the digital taxation works i don't have all the specific answers but definitely capital gains will not allow will not apply on buying a kindle book or buying a google ad or buying a facebook ad capital gains will not apply tds vodafone ka case kya tha vodafone ka case to pura tds wala tha vodafone uh, bought this hutchison asset from some other company even though the asset was technically Bahar in kya? some other part of the country no no but this is but we are not doing that with kindle books or with uh, with online advertisements that's buying and selling of companies or in this case cryptocurrency so called cryptocurrencies but if you are just buying ebooks or if you're just buying an ad on a digital platform there is no capital gains on that there is i think the tds part is interesting and i don't know what is the right answer to that but definitely capital gains will not apply okay so any suggestion as to what happens when gst compensation to state ends next year uh, and can we give some taxation powers to states so that they have some levers in their hand to increase competition so part of this i've already answered by saying this is one of the reasons i think the 1 lakh crore kind of facility has been extended to states i think to strengthen the hand of the union in those very negotiations saying that okay times are tough but we don't want to give you guaranteed money for x number of years as well or at least for five years for sure so that's one aspect on the other part that uh, this question has raised i fully agree that there is intrinsically a problem if all the state revenue comes from taxes or most of them come from taxes whose rate is not set by you alone is either set by gst council of course the states have a say there and because unlike american states indian states do not have direct taxes um and then there is of course local level taxes and then there are a lot of issues with property taxes in india which 
tend to be very low, whereas stamp duties in India tend to be very high. Um, so there is an issue. I think in the long run, we have to align the incentives of taxation discretion to the level of government which does most of the spending uh, or at least relevant spending according to the constitutional list. And in India, the last 20 years, by the way, the spending powers have gone in the direction of the states from the center if you look at the long-term trend. So there yes. is an issue. Maybe we don't uh, tweak GST now. Maybe we just cut union-level direct taxes by 5 percentage points and allow all states to tax up to 5 percentage points, but not more than that. Like You need to give some lever to the state, which overall does not increase the tax burden for the people. You make that very clear in the constitutional amendment. But you need the chief minister and the local assembly, the Vidhan Sabha, the Vidhan Parishad, to have power of some tax setting. Because right now it's only petrol and alcohol now. Things which are not and real estate, things that are not in the GST net. And I think that's not healthy from a long-term point of view. But yeah, overall, the GST has been a great reform. So net net, I just want to underline that. Okay, this question I think you had answered, but I'll read it out, Firbi, because somebody has asked. Should budget have given tax incentives on first-time house or car buyers? That would have boosted private uh, consumption, I think they wanted to say. Yeah, maybe, construction. Not maybe not cars, but yes, houses, I think, so they could have done more. That's my personal opinion, yes. Yeah, so I agree with you. Okay. Iska answer mujhe pata hai, but I'm still going to answer. Uh, what is the budget allocation for vocational technical training institutes? Aren't they likely to grow the economy and reduce unemployment faster? If I remember correctly, ITI institutes ka ek separate amount was given in the budget, which is going to go directly under the skill development industry. Yes, but I don't remember the amount. Um, but amount I, mujhe bhi yaad hai, magar I think I kafi significant amount. Tha. I, I broadly agree with the question that vocational education is needed. I had recently tweeted that, you know, like uh, college education should be more and more universal. And by that, I had meant including vocational education because there's there some pushback saying, obviously, not everybody needs to go to college uh, so long as they are getting a very good paying job through a separate stream of vocational. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Vocational education, Germany does it very well. Germany is by far the country to study in this regard. To some extent, even Netherlands, which is not just about education and vocational, but the way they use part-time jobs without compromising on the other aspects of job safety and responsibility, etc. So we need to learn from Western Europe in some of these vocational education, part-time jobs, that kind of industry interface that is very much as of now missing in our country, although we are making the right steps. All right. This is 30% crypto tax on every transaction. Is it on the Ghatega transaction also? Person who makes less than 10,000 every month, he be in loss. So it's not on every, it's on every profitable transaction. The I think the catch is that you're not allowed to set off losses of your crypto. So if you have capital loss on a crypto transaction, from what I understand, again, I've not read the fine print. You're not allowed to set it off against other transactions the way you are allowed to, for example, in listed share trading in India, right? And I think the government is very clear. The government has kind of very reluctantly de facto legalized it, not de jure. And they still want to kind of suppress it as much as possible. I don't think the government is very happy about people speculating in so-called cryptocurrencies. Um, so yes, if the if the if the questioner means to say that it does not sound fair, then maybe it's not supposed to be fair. 
No, but then then the questioner again followed up. Even people who do crypto mining, they too will suffer. He's asking, will they suffer? It looks like they are treating mining like gambling rather than business. <laughs> so again, I don't know how the. I just love crypto folks. They they are a unique breed. I have no opinion on them, but I love them. I mean, so I, I mean, I don't know how it works. Maybe your mining cost is considered as something. I don't know the cost of your electricity or something. And then whatever you sell it at, that is considered a capital gains. So to that extent, yes, it will hurt people who are using computing power and energy, etc., to create more cryptocurrency coins. so-called cryptocurrency coins yes but that's the same capital gains concept right it's not there's not something specific to mining from what i understand but again please ask experts i am not an expert in this area yeah this is a question for a chartered accountant i think more than that yeah, and chartered uh, accountants these tax questions must be taken with the right cas and yeah lawyers. so uh, somebody has i'll share it on the screen so digital advertisements are already taxed through an equalization levy somebody yeah also that is also being renegotiated by the way through this whole g20 negotiation so it's it's not something that is stabilized yet but yes that is true all right so these two questions are specifically for you what percentage of goi are deficit hawks what inflation spiraling shouldn't we be keeping the deficit under control as much uh, matlab should we not be keeping the deficit under as uh, control as possible and is this government in that line yeah so i mean as i said for the union government 6.8% was the budgeted deficit for fy22 which will end next month and uh, it they are now saying the real estimate is 6.9% although it might actually not be 6.9% because the tax buoyancy they were assuming for the last quarter of this fiscal that is january to march is not very high um so it might actually be 6.8 or less let's see how the lic thing also happens um next year also they're saying 6.4 but next year almost certainly uh, unless they do massive new spending it will be less than 6.4 so there is clear consolidation i think the direction is what matters i think the trend towards 2025 or so is what matters i think all countries across the world are were fiscally more expensive during these tough times i don't think that's a worry per se yet uh, i think one thing i must add it's not just spending it's not just outlays versus outcomes which we briefly alluded to in the niti aayog evaluation but capex spending the government is finding it difficult to spend this kind of amount which is a new problem right because generally we were short of money but now we do have money but just the state capacity to spend this increasingly amazingly high allocations and increases of allocations is being a bit of an issue of course fy22 is also when we had this one and a half waves one full delta wave terrible this kind of half omicron wave uh, which may not unlikely to happen in fy23 and we have various lessons but just to say that a lot of the capex spending actually assumes a very strong q4 that is this quarter whereas it does not assume strong tax collections in q4 this quarter but the last three quarters was the opposite taxes were very buoyant capex spending was a bit difficult and i encourage you to read nilkant mishra's articles on this uh, i think business standard he works of red swiss he maintains his own blog and is on twitter as well uh, and other people as well so so there is a bit so it seems conservative in terms of what we expecting and actually may for a change spending this kind of capex is a bit difficult for us Uh, always had every department used to return some money often but this time it will require some push from the highest levels the fm and the pmo to properly spend this capex because the amount of money increase is not what our bureaucracies are used to 
uh, and we have we're still fine tuning our PPP model. It's much better than 10, 15 years ago. But there is a bit of an issue of ham versus EPC versus some kind of other model. Uh, you know, so that we are not fully there yet. But it seems like the consolidation is there. There is some tough uh, work to do in terms of properly spending all of it. But we are getting there. Hmm. This person Twitter pe follow Twitter. So the question starts like this. Harsh tweeted a picture that said a person earning greater than 1 lakh per month is not middle class. Given the same person also needs to pay rent in metro cities and also pay GST on purchases. Isn't it an unfair analysis and rebate should be given? Jawab do. So I, I did not tweet this picture. I retweeted this photo. I did, the retweeter photo basically said that there is, this is the percentile. At this, so 95 percentile, so 5 percent of Indians earn more than this amount. Or let's say 3 percent of Indians earn at least as per tax, tax statistics 1 lakh rupees a month or more. The actual numbers might be slightly different because there is some unaccountable income as we all know, although maybe the percentage is decreasing. So the idea is not, uh, the broader question is, I personally think, as I said, tax rate should be decreased. But what I don't think should be decreased is the tax base. So there are two separate issues. I think more and more people over time should come under the direct tax net as well, which they're already in, in terms of the indirect tax net, the GST. I agree if that is what the questionnaire means, that the tax rate should be decreased, which is why I'm talking about DTC. To what extent? That's a separate question. It's an empirical question also. I actually said that in our discussion earlier. Maybe this year they did not want to tweak it because Harsal bought tweak together. They wanted to maintain continuity. But broadly, in principle, I agree tax rates should be decreased. Or if they're not decreased, the slabs should be changed. Or maybe some of both should happen. I am more interested in the broadening of the tax base than the percentage taken out from those people. The reason is our tax base begins at a multiple of our per capita income. So let's say our per capita income is 1.6 lakhs average. We begin effectively at 3.2 lakhs. Officially, it's at 2.5 lakhs. Whereas if America per capita income is $70,000, they effectively might begin at $25,000, $30,000. So ultimately, if you want a modern state, you cannot uh, build this state on the back of very few people. Again, for political reasons, we are not taxing the rich farmers. There are a lot of people who we have already exempted. It is unfair. It is part of the political economy. It's part of a transition. Not everything will be set right in one year. So the point of that retweeting that photo is not that taxes cannot come down ever on the people who are in a percentile term strictly upper middle class, though a lot of us like to call ourselves middle class. The point is not that taxes should not come down there, but the point is if if you take down to zero, there are people who are tweeting that take the tax cut off to 10 lakhs. Anybody below 10, 10 lakhs not give any taxes. Then who will you tax money from? With that remaining half percent and then they'll all leave for America, UK and Switzerland. There's nobody left to tax. So you have to basically make the tax base wider. I am sympathetic to the position that the tax rate should come down. It did not happen this year because of broad budget continuity. But the facts are facts. Very, very people who earn 1 lakh in India per month are part of the top, if not 3%, 5%. And yes, the cost of living in a metro city is different from cost of living in a village in Uttar Pradesh. That is true. We don't have internal cost of living adjustments for taxes. And we don't have that in America as well. Living in Alabama is much cheaper than living in New York City. And you still have the same slabs, uh, at least at the federal level. Yeah. Yeah. 
क्वेश्चन का मैं ही आंसर दे देता हूँ बिकॉज आई थिंक वॉट मोर डू यू थिंक कैन बी डन फॉर एम एस एम ई सी दिस क्वेश्चन आई कैन आंसर एज एन एम एस एम ई द थिंग इज कुछ ना करो ज्यादा अच्छा है See, the government has extended the credit guarantee scheme for the MSMEs. I think Still up to yeah. yeah, so the whole year, a or extend it. Plus, for hospitality, thousand crore or add kar diya guarantee. Yes, yes, yes. So it's done. It's not that it's not done. But my honest answer is, if they don't lock us down, boy, we're fine. Don't lock us down. ये जो ये शहनशाह मोड एक्टिवेट हो जाता है, 11 बजे suddenly corona आ जाता है, 9 बजे आ जाता है, 10 बजे आ जाता है. Stop doing all of that. I I I I I I have 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 you 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 know I, I fully agree with you, uh, Kushal. The the only thing is is think because element somewhere but also state government level pe bhi, not just union government there is they all felt that they underreacted to the Delta wave and in a very weird sort of way they are compensating by overreacting to now for example the Omicron wave and there is no rational behind it except it is very classical human nature you're always fighting the last war you know the average general is always fighting the last war i think that's what happened but yes please go ahead sorry to cut you off no no so did see it's every time it's like we are doing something the problem is and this is the nature of the population and the government the government is like you know hamara dada nana mummy papa and bachche like papa kuch karo तो पापा अभी बोल रहे मैं कुछ कर रहा हूँ You were wear, not wearing a mask. You could be fined for that. Now, if any person is going to the toilet, you are checking whether he is wearing a mask. Okay, the toilet is better. Hopefully, so I mean, you know. So this, this, these are the kind of overreaches of power which obviously cannot be defended. Uh, and I think, to be fair, I, you know, our government did a lot of damage in Delhi. But when they did try to reverse, very recently, by the way, after a lot of damage, for some strange reason, the LG opposed it. so you know this is across parties i must say the union government in the omicron wave has been much more sober they completely left it to the states but unhone zyada state ko pressure bhi nahi kiya ki bhai to lockdown modi ji i have to say modi ji ki statement thi center ki guidelines mein night curfews modi ji ko bhi shenshaw mode bahut acha lagta ha night curfew is something i agree see night curfew is one of those things which people think ki zyada damage nahi hoga uh but you know obviously logically so it makes less sense na but in fact what happens is you know when initially in omicron wave they again tried to control local transport by then they reversed they curbed a few public trains you know for a lot of these blue collar workers to come in and out of kolkata like in other parts of the india like including bombay if you reduce the number of trains crowding increased delhi you, metro ये सुना कि भाई लोग काम दो गेट की जगह एक गेट खोल दी लाइन दो किलोमीटर की हो गई क्या जीनियस लोग हैिटी बिकॉज इट दैट इज नॉट the brain simply doesn't work like that again 
मैं करप्शन की तो बात ही नहीं कर रहा मैं शहनशाहपन की बात भी नहीं कर रहा इस केस में आई थिंक देर इज जस्ट लैक ऑफ इमेजिनेशन एंड एम्पति इन सम केसेस या क्रिटिकल रिसोर्सेज Does government of India care? I I know for a fact these two points were covered in the budget, and एक आदमी ने request किया कि भाई credit guarantee scheme को layman terms में explain करो. So पहले तो मैं ये है कि हाँ PLI उन्होंने for by the way 5G के लिए भी extend करी है for 5G kind of hardware yes. manufacturing. Again, it was with supply chain. For example, a lot of people have been saying, including Renew Powers. Suman uh, Sinha has recently said कि जी आप चाहते हैं हम solar power करें लेकिन आपने solar power पे tariff कर दिया है. from his point of view that's a valid point but from the government's point of view they don't just want us to become a consumer once again of solar cells they also said you know if we are going to be one of the world's largest producers of solar power we also want to have an ecosystem of manufacturing those solar cells so there is always a trade off in the short run if you want to just lay out solar power you of course want to have zero tariffs right kushal but agar aap zero tariff kar doge jab sab bana diya uske baad koi local insaan factory kyun dalega solar cell ka तो उसकी जॉब्स कैसे आएंगी उसका प्रॉफिट का इकोसिस्टम कैसे बनेगा विच इज वॉट वी डिड विद सेल्फोन्सिक्स का जो आई टी है मैंने किताब में लिखी है राजीव के साथ ट्रेड पॉलिसी समथिंग विच इज वेरी यू कैनॉट बी आइडियोलॉजिकल अबाउटीड अरविंद पानागढ़िया you know jo inverted duty structure bolte hain where you incentivize manufacturing outside of india because aapne raw material mehanga karte ho aur finished good pe kam tariff lagate ho jabki ulta hona chahiye right now it's not easy as just like that because one finished good is raw material for somebody else's uh, production process so it's not as black and white as that but there is a lot of things other countries have done which we can learn through full time experts and implement properly there is an element of corruption there is an element of cronyism that is where you need the credibility of an honest central government now that is on the supply chains in the context of china and 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 covid and etc and yes in the short term it takes time to run our trade with china is still booming despite all issues but in the long run we are going to benefit from this it's already showing some promise if you want to be an export of genetic pharma you need apis ab apis china mein ban rahe hain overnight you cannot produce apis in india you can do a pli scheme and incentivize that in india manufacturers mm. not be indian they could be korean japanese german whatever so it's not protectionism in that sense it's not license raj in that sense it's just trade industrial policy and the proof of the pudding will be in the eating so we'll see but it's very well intentioned in that sense i think the final point of credit guarantee scheme to ye hota hai ki ji aap usko npa na kare uh aap usko roll over kar de ek time tak from what i understand you'll be able to explain the eclg scheme better for msmes but basically it does not become an npa from what i understand and you the bank is not allowed asked is not allowed to go to you and say ki you know pay up the loan we are foreclosing etc so because See, of basically the, credit uh, guarantee jad bhasha mein ye hui ki maine main msme hu maine loan liya kisi se aur government ne bank ko do tarike se ek mujhe protect kiya ek government pehle bank ko bol rahi hai isko loan de main baitha hu that is the first step 
सेकेंड है कि अगर मैं टाइम पे पे नहीं कर रहा हूं तो भी गवर्नमेंट बोलेगी तू रुक इसको खड़ा रहन दे दैट इज द होल पॉइंट राइट the fact that it is prioritizing infrastructure which is always a boring long gestation investment it is incredibly positive for the india story uh, you know i remember distinctly till 10 years ago infrastructure was not discussed everything was all this economic jargon of this deficit and that deficit because we were all very much enmeshed in anglo american debates you know so the the point is not that we are living that we are mentally colonized or something but because the power differential was so high that all of us were educated there and you know our our domestic produ- uh, production scholarship around economics as well like other fields was relatively low still is but the gap is now narrowing that you know they who had already built their infrastructure we would effectively be participating in their debates and frameworks now what is happening is there is a clear understanding that because the partially because the prime minister is somebody who has come from relatively humble circumstances in a material sense he knows the problems he and also because being the chief minister of a very mercantile oriented state like gujarat for 12 years he knows the problems of the common man and the common businessman and therefore for him and people like nitin gadkari and nirmala sitaraman the idea that a highway is an obvious investment is not something that needs to be sold to them you know like you don't have to explain that okay nrga is good highway is also good long term mein highway is better so their idea is theek hai nrg hum band nahi karenge but zyada focus on highway pe karenge because nrg bhi job create karti hai highway bhi job create karti hai nrg ka asset creation ka quality kya hoga pata nahi but you have a shining expressway here which will make a factory in the middle of uttar pradesh viable in the middle of bihar viable which it was not for the last 30 40 50 years so i think that has what has changed and it is just more of the same nothing will change in one year but this focus on long term investing is what is for me an unambiguous positive yeah i agree with you see you know chidambaram ji said are how can a government look at 25 years i was like i think that shows confidence and a long term vision i would say it's a good thing not a bad thing the government is looking at long term so yes small incrementalism is the only way we can do it in india and if anything yeah. you know the final elections to har saal ho rahe hain to chidambaram ji ka point sahi hai aur log impatient hai to we'll see in the polls election thoda bol rahe hain ki 25 saal baad karenge election to jo ho raha hai waisi chal raha hai abhi bhi ho rahe hain aur 2024 mein general elections honge so of course it cannot be just amrit kal in 2047 i am very bullish and separately argued will be the world's largest economy by roughly a 100th year of independence whether people agree with it or not it's more of a way to structure the conversation than a very specific numerical prediction but i do think that is interesting that we are finally dreaming big that we have the confidence to say that by our 100th year because china says that by 2049 their 100th year of establishment of the ccp state they will be in the one in the vanguard of developed nations and by 2024 uh say 70 their 75th year and you know right now their 70 years 2019 they said we will be moderately developed so we have to 
not in terms of five year plans but in terms of vision we need to have a vision where we will be uh, say 100 years of our independence if you don't have the vision you can't even work backwards from there right so of course any politician has to brand it they have to call it amritkal they have to they have to sell it in a certain way now whether it actually carries or not ultimately depends on the substance you cannot go only on hot air for 10 years right there has to be some substance mhm i agree with you all right we'll wrap today's discussion up as always harsh pleasure talking to you thanks for coming same same kushal really nice talking to you take care all right guys we'll wrap today's discussion up please subscribe to the channel like the video and leave your comments over there in the uh, in the below the video in the comment section and also support the charvak podcast on youtube on patreon or on you know visit the website by the merch or send your donations i will see you now for the members i'll see you tomorrow sunday from 8 o'clock to 10:30 otherwise i will see you on monday with another interesting podcast until then namaste take care bye bye